I had a fry every day this summer. Working on building sites. You know, now again, we didn't win, so maybe it wasn't the right thing to do. <laughs> <laughs> I should have been there the food with the pasta. <laughs> OTB AM. Live weekday mornings from 7.30 on the OTB Sports app. Monday Night Rugby on Off The Ball. With Vodafone, official sponsors of the Irish rugby team. We all belong to the team of us. You are very welcome along to Monday Night Rugby. Monday Night Rugby here on Off The Ball, along with the rest of our rugby coverage, is with thanks to Vodafone, main sponsor of the Irish rugby team. We all belong to the team of us. We're talking about the rugby championship, which is very delicately poised after four rounds of games. Only one point separates top spot and bottom as we go into this mini break. And each team now has two wins and two defeats so far. The results in the previous weekend were reversed in the weekend just gone by. A victory for the world champion South Africa on Australian soil for the first time in nine years. They won in Sydney against Australia by 24 points to 8 when New Zealand bounced back to form we saw maybe some of the Joe Schmidt template uh, coming into the four in their attack as they defeated Argentina by 53 points to 3 which has moved the All Blacks to the top of the table so uh, very delicately poised with a couple of rounds of games to go delighted to say we have coming back in the show South African based rugby journalist Craig Ray Craig how are you getting on? Hi, well, good to be on. Yeah, going well. Thanks. Uh, exciting competition. So we're enjoying it. Yeah, I mean, we've had a decade of the All Blacks generally dominating this competition. And now we have the most competitive rugby championship we've had in quite some time. And given that everyone is beating everyone, and given that the week before we were looking at Australia's very good performance against South Africa at Adelaide, then the Springboks reversed it in Sydney in their beautiful new stadium in the Allianz Stadium. And then we saw you know, New Zealand looking back to form after looking very tepid against Argentina the week before. It makes it very difficult to actually predict the winner of this championship a couple of rounds out now absolutely i mean it's so uh, the only thing that's been consistent is everyone's inconsistency uh, it's it's ridiculous uh, in, a, in a way that there's no forerunner it's it's good for the game and it's good for the sport i suppose but it's frustrating for the coaches and fans um you know new zealand i suppose have been the most jekyll and hyde side i mean to go from losing to winning by 50 points uh, is quite a turnaround um, you did get the feeling, though, that Argentina played their final in the first test and you know, getting that win. I don't know what they did the rest of the week or the week leading up to the second test, but uh, I think they, it was the objective was met uh, to win that test. And, and then maybe they took their foot off the gas a little bit. And you just knew there was going to be a backlash from New Zealand because that's how it goes, especially in New Zealand. Um, the Springboks uh, Australia... Uh, series, mini series, if you like, uh, was a little bit different because, uh, you know, the Springboks were poor in that first test. Australia were good. But the Springboks, if you go look at it again, the first test in Adelaide, they created so many opportunities and just didn't finish. Um, And they paid the price. And and then in the second test, they they created quite a few opportunities in the first half, which they didn't take, but they managed to take enough of them in a game where they were totally dominant. Um, So I think it's frustrating for coaches everywhere uh, to try and find the sort of ingredient for their teams that you know to, to find the consistency they're looking for. Yeah, Sia Khaleesi was interviewed on the TV. I was watching the game on Saturday morning and he was asked about that. Uh, what were the changes that they'd made from Adelaide going into Sydney? And he was saying, well, actually, you know, with the exception of a couple of personnel changes, which we can talk about in more detail in a moment, he was saying generally the game plan was the same as it had been the week before, but the difference was the execution. Uh, compared yeah. to those chances that maybe went to Ryan Adelaide, they took them a little bit better in the game in Sydney at the weekend. They did. Uh, and, I, you know, being the captain and I suppose in that environment, he's never going to talk about, or he's never going to want to throw players under the bus. But I do think there is one uh, or two pretty significant changes. The return of Malcolm Marks to the starting lineup and Jasper Visser 
made an immense difference. And, you know, the, the, the Springbok coaching staff might not want to admit it, but leaving marks out of the Adelaide and the Ellis Park tests the weeks before that was, yeah, was ridiculous in, in many ways. Um, and his presence on the field immediately changed uh, the Springbok's performance because they secured their very first line out of the game, which set the tempo and set the tone. Uh, the previous two matches against the All Blacks and against uh, the Wallabies, they had lost their first line out of the game, and that just gave the opposition a little foothold in the match. And these are small things we're talking about here, but they are massive things when, uh, you know, we've seen how results can change on, on one or two percent being you know, little issues in the game. And so I think the return of marks and Visa in particular was was a big factor for the Springboks. Yeah, I think when it came to the line also the back row battle with the fact the performance was much better from the South African back row in a more general sense of the weekend too. And they won a few aerial balls that went up in the air early in the game. When you're up against a team who are kind of christening their stadium for an international rugby game, um, at least a rugby championship game, and also that crowd, it was like a very noisy stadium too. South Africa were able to quieten them down a bit in the first 20 minutes. And actually, I thought South Africa were kind of winning those exchanges and winning a bit at the breakdown before the Dialande try, which actually gave them a good foothold in the game, really. Yeah, absolutely. I, look, they, if you go back to Ellis Park, they went 15-0 down against the All Blacks, and then you're in a big hole. And the previous week in Adelaide, they went 10-0 down to the Wallabies. And again, you got a, a bigger mountain to climb. So this week was essential that they got off to a good start. And they did that, as you say, not on the scoreboard necessarily early on, although they did get the Alinda's try to come in the ninth minute. But uh, Caden Moody's try only came in the 39th minute. To, and uh, the game was at 7-3 at that point, even though the Springboks had completely dominated. Um, they only led by four points a minute before half time. And so when Kane and Moody plucked that ball out the air and scored a fantastic try on debut, I think that was the 12 3 was at least the fair reflection of the Springboks' dominance in that half. But it all came back to making a good start. And, and key to that good start was winning their first couple of lineouts. It gave them some momentum and getting in at the breakdown. Marx's presence at the breakdown is, is immense. Although he didn't make any turnovers himself, just his presence at the breakdown meant the Australians had to commit at least one more man to the breakdown. Or if they got isolated, they were so busy watching Marx, someone else like Khaleesi could, could get in there. So I think, um, you know, Marx. Uh, I, I spoke to Jake White before the All Black test at Ellis Park, and he couldn't fathom why Marks had been left out in the absence of the injured Bongi and Benambi. Um, Marks and Benambi have sort of shared that. He said, you know, this guy's probably the best rugby player in the world right now, never mind the best hooker, and you leave him on the bench. And um, yeah, to me, it makes no sense. If you've got Killian Mbappe uh, and, you, and, and you leave him on the bench for a crucial game, it, it really makes no sense. Not that I'm saying Marx is uh, Kylian Mbappe of rugby, but uh, he certainly has that that um, that galvanising effect on the Springbok team. No, oh, definitely. He's good around the loose, good thrower. These are all very important factors. And again, we saw the fact that the line-out wasn't the weapon it was for Australia last week, and South Africa were very good in their own line-out. So I think at the very least, you'd say they got parity in the game in Sydney. Um, Khaleesi himself, there was... Again, there was a bit of talk about his performance the week before, but he was really, really good. I think he got the host broadcaster in Australia man of the match as well. Oh, he was fantastic. And, you know, I think his performances actually haven't been that bad. A lot of people saying, oh, he's anonymous. But if you go and look at the games again, he gets through a lot of work. Um, and he was very prominent uh, in Sydney. There's no doubt about it. It was certainly his best game in terms of catching the eye. But he makes a lot of meters with the ball in hand. And he does a lot of good work on the ground. Puts in a lot of tackles if you go look at his tackle numbers. Um so I think he just quietly gets about with his business. And I think having that better balance, having Jasper Visser playing well and being able to carry over the advantage line, gain some momentum on gain line, having welcome marks to assist at the breakdown, 
uh, and having an informed Franco Mostert playing instead of a slightly off the pace Peter Steff de Toy at uh, blindside flank. I think just everything was more balanced for the Springboks and it allowed Khaleesi just a little bit more freedom to to uh, do a few, you know, carry a bit more and get involved in the game a little bit more than maybe he felt he was able to in the previous two matches. Was there much concern in South Africa after the two defeats? Because we've been gauging the temperature from New Zealand and talking to Gregor Paul from the New Zealand Herald, and uh, maybe the situation is slightly different because of New Zealand's defeats in the summer tour and some defeats they took at the tail end of last year. But was there much panic within South Africa after those defeats against the All Blacks in Australia? I don't think it was so much panic, but I think there was starting. There was a real sense of frustration. I certainly, as a as a rugby writer, I was frustrated because I felt. Um, you know, the the second Wales test where uh, Nino made 19 changes to the 23 and three, in a, you know, I think it was nine, nine debutants uh, in that second test and lost it by a point. You could understand what he was trying to do there, so build a bit of depth, um, but at the cost of losing a home test, they came back, won the third test comfortably, and then, you know, destroyed the All Blacks in Umbombela. And, and I thought, you know, you don't often get the opportunity to beat the All Blacks twice in a row. And by leaving Marks out, by leaving Jasper Visser out and starting a, a Dwayne Vermeulen who hadn't played for eight weeks, starting Joseph Dweber, who is very um, new to Test Rugby and is certainly not Malcolm Marks or Bongi and Benambi, you just gave the All Blacks uh, a finger. And if you give the All Blacks a finger, they'll take an arm. And uh, that's exactly what happened at Ellis Park. And that was very frustrating because that was a game, you know, the Springboks even fought back to lead 23-21 with nine minutes to go in that match. But uh, I think the toll it took on them, you know, told in the last six or seven minutes of that match. So th- there was a massive sense of frustration uh, that they didn't get the job done against the All Blacks. Adelaide, well, it, you know, Australia is just a funny place. He, he, again, he left Marks and Jasper Visa out the side. But even so, the Springboks probably did enough to win that game in terms of creating chances, but they were just not good enough to execute. Um, so that then ramped up the pressure because now they've suddenly lost three out of six tests in, in the calendar year and it's not looking good. And you could certainly say that two of them, the Wales second test and the third test against uh, the, the, the second All Black test, were of the Springboks' own making in the sense that they were tinkering with a side where they didn't need to, um, other than for more long-term objectives, which is a bit of a bugbear of mine because it seems like everything can be excused at the altar of World Cup growth. And um, I just don't feel that that's right in an All Black test. The options have now got a bit deeper at out half as well after uh, Damien Wilma's performance at the weekend where he adds a little bit different, something different to Andre Pollard who is going to be a consistent kicker, who is going to maybe control things at number 10. But the pace was a bit different. The creativity was a bit different, running slightly different lines as well. There are now two very different looking out halves that are the options for the box now. Absolutely. I think, yeah, I, I don't think the long-term plan was to have Damien Willems as a fly-off, but with injuries to Pollard and Alton Jones, it's, uh, yeah, it was necessitated. And I thought he gave a great performance. Uh, you know, he, as you say, he, he, he loves to step. He gets stuck in. He likes to take on the advantage line. Um, and that is a, certainly a different uh, challenge that he will pose to opposition. Uh, he needs to work on his goal-kicking Um you know, if he's going to be the starting fly-off with Vili LaRue at fullback, then he is going to be the goal kicker. And that has to you know, get up to the 75-80% mark uh, to to really make him an effective test fly-off. But it certainly is exciting. And I think uh, Jaden Hendricks at Scrum Half has now usurped Fuff de Klerk as the number one Scrum Half in the side. So that's pretty exciting as well with Kobus Reinach back. So suddenly there looks like there's a few options there as well.
Yeah, which wouldn't have been expected with Faf de Klerk's form in the last World Cup. You would have thought he's going to be carrying that nine shirt right into the World Cup in France. But depth is a good thing to have and perhaps a different way to play is something good to have as well. I mean, if it's cup rugby, you may well go for Andre Pollard and say, look, the forwards go smash them up and win the game and he's going to make the kicks that are going to be vital. But at the same time, if South Africa want to play a slightly different style and maybe mix it up a bit, those options are there in that halfback potential combinations now too. Yeah, and also, you know, if Damien Willemsen can play a bit more fly half, uh, you know, in, in some games, even though he might go to the World Cup as the starting fullback, in the last 20 or 30 minutes, you can change things up. You can push him into fly half with Pollard coming off and Vili Leroux coming on at fullback, and then you've got a, a slightly different looking side, even for a portion of a match, which, which could be an interesting way for the Springboks to approach some games in the World Cup as well. Kane Moody, Jake White, I think, was saying last week, this is a guy who could get 100 caps for the Springboks come the end of his career. Not the worst way to start your first test to pluck <laughs> the ball out of the air and get yourself a try in your debut. Yeah, I mean, he's only 19 years old. And I don't know if you guys remember what a good game he had against Leinster in the semi-final of the URC. Mm. He was fantastic in that game for the Bulls as well. Um, uh, well, in that same conversation with Jake, said he, he would get 100 caps. Jake also said he's probably the best young rugby player I've ever coached, uh, which is high praise indeed. And, and you know, he's a big, he's a big boy. I mean, he's six foot two, big wing, quick, uh, and you know, as you saw, he's got the skills. He did a lot of other good little things uh, in in that game. He you know, hit some rucks, cleaned out, defended well. Um, and when you think, you know, you've got Chesden Colby pro- as the first choice right wing. Uh, probably Kirtley Lawrence, who was fantastic in Mumbabela against the All Blacks, who came in and took his chance well before uh, that red card. Uh, you know, he's there. People have forgotten, but the the other man who's uh, a Springbok right wing and World Cup winner is Spoon Corsi, who has been injured, but he's back on the training field now and he is playing for the Bills in the URC in a couple of weeks' time. Spoon Corsi is a World Cup winner and he played in the World Cup semi final when Cheslin was injured. And so he's there, and suddenly you've got. Uh, you know, Kane and Moody as well, who, who is actually probably going to migrate to centre ultimately in his career. So there's some nice young depth in the South African side. And I guess it's just about how they deploy it and how they use them. Yeah, 10 minutes to go, the game kind of boiled over a little bit. Uh, my main takeaway from watching on TV is that I wouldn't want to get in a row with Etzebeck given his sheer size and given the ferocity with which he went into that argument. Yeah, I mean, that was just, yeah, I mean, look, he looked fierce, didn't he? The eyes were popping out and uh, Ala Latoa wasn't giving an inch either. Um, so there was a, a, yeah, a lot of pushing and shoving. There was no real malice in that, although it looked pretty nasty. I mean, it all went off when um, um, Pimpy scored and then had a little shove at Corobetti, didn't he? And I mean, that was a bit silly by him, um, I, But you can understand why there was a bit of frustration that carried over from the previous week. And I think there had been niggle building up to that point and, uh, you know, I suppose people are going to say, oh, you South African, you would say this. But I just think over the two weeks, Australia were very niggly. Were very, there was a lot of gamesmanship from the Wallabies. I mean, the Nick White incident in the first test just left a bad taste. And I think some of that frustration finally boiled over in those last 10 minutes. Fortunately, no one did anything really stupid. There was no headbutts or punches or someone really lost their rag. And I don't know if you've seen the sort of video doing the rounds on social media of the of the. the Ella Latour taking a beer to Etzebeth uh, in the change room afterwards, uh, nicely staged yeah. <laughs> by the Wallaby Media Department. But uh, um, yeah, which does uh, does make you wonder if the Wallabies are on a bit of a charm offensive after you know two weeks of, of fairly ordinary, um, uh, shall we say, behaviour. 
Now, look, as, an, as a neutral watching a game on a Saturday morning, I don't mind a little bit of needle towards the end of a game. It's fine. It just goes to show uh, how much this championship means to all four teams now at this stage. And mm. we've got this break and maybe Argentina, South Africa go to Buenos Aires the week after the break. So I wonder if this wasn't a bad time, Craig, for Argentina to actually get a break, both physically and probably emotionally after everything the week before, because you know, they were interviewing Montoya on the pitch after the win that Argentina got. And he was talking about how much it meant for the nation and people getting up at half four in the morning to watch it and they felt the weight of everything on them and now they got this first win in New Zealand a little bit flat last week looked a little bit tired in the rain at the weekend too maybe a break before the Springboks go to Buenos Aires might be no bad thing for Argentina oh yeah I think they they I think Czech is clever and I think they they they, they picked two matches after the Wallaby home series they picked the first test against the All Blacks to have a go they got successful there and I think they've targeted the, the home test against the Springboks as one to ambush them um, they will, as you say, have a break. They left a few key players behind. They didn't go to New Zealand. Uh, Augustine Creevy, one of them. Um, so I think the Springboks are walking into an ambush over there uh, and they're going to have to be at the top of their game. They're going to have to come with the same intensity they had in Sydney and, and not the sort of tepid start they had uh, in Adelaide if they're going to topple Argentina, who are a good side. I mean, that, that scored the weekend, the 50-plus points from New Zealand, was disappointing because I think Argentina let themselves down a little bit because they're a lot better than that. But I fully expect that they'll be back to their absolute best at home. And we saw their performance in the second home test against the Wallabies when they knocked them over very comfortably. Um, and again, a very good win against New Zealand. So, And you know, the Springboks have lost two of their last four tests in Argentina as well. So um, it's not an easy place to go win anymore. Yeah, and look, as an Irishman, a year out from the World Cup, it always worries me when Argentina start to show a bit of form 12 months out from the World Cup as well. This seems to be timed every time. But Michael Cech has gone in there and it seems everything has been bonded quite well. Like, I was incredibly impressed by how they played, particularly in the last 25 minutes in the test that they won away to New Zealand because they knew there was an onslaught coming. And Argentina showed remarkable resolve to continue winning penalties, to continue New Zealand having to basically go for short bursts at them where eventually knock-ons were happening and penalties were being given away. That type of performance just goes to show that Argentina will probably put it up to anybody in France in a year's time. Yeah, and I think when they were fully switched on like they were there, not, uh, yeah, not, the, not the second test against New Zealand, but the first test when they were totally in the game and they knew they had a chance to make history, what really impressed me was their discipline. Mm. You know, Argentina have been so... Um, yeah, so guilty of giving away cheap yellow cards and penalties and uh, at, at crucial times in test matches, which has been their biggest Achilles heel, I think, throughout their, their 10 years in the rugby championship. And, and for once, uh, they look like a side that's hard but fair. You know, they, they've, they've done away with some of that nonsense that's got them into trouble in the past. And I think if they continue to improve on that, they're going to be very difficult to beat. You said the outset New Zealand are very difficult to analyse at the moment because of the Jekyll and Hyde nature of some of their performances and the changes they've been making to their coaching team uh, throughout this summer and now into the rugby championship itself. But again, I saw some of the kind of Joe Schmidt blueprint start to work a little bit last weekend. They were very good in their structured phase play. They seemed to attack from a little bit deeper. They were able to use their pace throughout the game as well. I think slowly but surely we're starting to see a bit of Schmidt ball in the way that they attack. Yeah, look, you would know Schmidt's game better than I, but uh, they certainly looked a lot better. I think also they're getting their selections right. You know, they, Richie Mahonga finally came back into the side at Ellis Park. Um, I think he's the way they've got to go at fly half. He controls the game really well. He's got a good kicking game and a good rugby brain. So 
I think if he settles in and knows he's the number one choice of fly-off, they can build a lot around that. Um, the center pairing, I think, is finally settling down. A lot of people have been critical of Rico Ioanni being a, a, an outside center because he is so quick and he's so devastating on the wing. But uh, that's starting to look good, and Caleb Clark is starting to look really good on the left wing. So, uh, you know, I, the, the All Blacks have been sort of written off and Foster has been criticized. But a year out from the World Cup, there's just little signs that if they can keep their forward pack, and that's a big if for New Zealand because I think they're a bit thin at hooker. Um, uh, the, the the new guy, Takiyaro, is, is a really good young player. But I think Cody Taylor and Dane Coles are, are looking and showing signs of creaking. Sam Whitelock is still playing decent rugby, but he's, you know, if he gets injured, what's their backup plan there? Brady Retallick has been quite injury prone in the last few years, which is unlike his first sort of six or seven years in test rugby. So I think they've got a few issues up front if they if they have a few key injuries to say Whitelock or Retallick. Uh, uh, you know, I don't know if they're going to be able to replace those guys. And in a way, last Saturday morning's game is difficult to analyse too because the All Blacks came out with such a lightning fast attack in the first 10 minutes and had scores up on the board early as well. I, I think they probably broke Argentina's spirit to a certain extent with the way that New Zealand started the game and then naturally when the game starts to get away, New Zealand will put the pressure on. They scored the seven tries in the end, but it's probably much more difficult to draw conclusions from the nature of that performance maybe compared to when things were up against them the week before. Well, I mean, and we all know this as people who've watched rugby in New Zealand. If they score early and you've got to play catch-up in New Zealand, it's yeah, it's a recipe for disaster because you always cough the ball up somewhere and, and they're so ruthless in taking those chances. And, you know, they've got that ability to score just before half-time, which is what they did again against Argentina. And as you say, they broke their spirit. And I think once Argentina was sort of 17 points down, there's just no way back uh, in New Zealand. And, and even if you... It's subconscious. I think the heads drop a little bit, and and New Zealand in that sort of rampant mood are are difficult to stop. But they are the kind of side that, if you can put them under pressure early, uh, they they do struggle even at their their best. You know, there was the only the only time that sides beat them was when they gave them nothing uh, for a long periods of time, and uh, and maybe this current crop of All Blacks is slightly uh, you know they're not quite of the vintage of 2015. So. The key is to probably stop them starting quickly and, and, and keep them out of the game. Yeah, we'll see how they get on to Melbourne next time out in a couple of weeks' time. In South Africa, is it important to try and kick on and win this rugby championship now? Because we have these debates all the time, Craig, in the Northern Hemisphere, a year out from the World Cup, how important is the Six Nations or a Six Nations on the year of a World Cup? You're thinking maybe it's more important, as we saw with that uh, second test against Wales, to try players out, maybe to experiment a bit 12 months out. But would winning this rugby championship be important to South Africa now over the next few weeks? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, look, I, I don't think it's important in the context of the World Cup. Uh, you know, winning it or losing, it's not really going to change your approach to the World Cup. But I think it's important for the Springboks, especially. They are the world champions. They've beaten the British and Irish Lions. If they want to build a legacy and, and sort of live up to that, that, that moniker as world champions, they've got to start winning these other things. As far as I'm concerned, this is my personal opinion. They might have a different view of it. But I don't think you can say every four years... It's all about four games, one World Cup pool game and three World Cup knockout games, and nothing else matters. To me, that doesn't sit well. Everything matters, and particularly winning these type of trophies. They, they, they didn't manage to win the Freedom Cup from New Zealand over two tests. They failed to retain the Mandela or, or uh, win the Mandela Plate over Australia because they, Australia were the holders, so they've shared that mini-series one all. So they've got to win the Rugby Championship. I think they. it's just little 
They, if you recall, they won the uh, the 2019 Rugby Championship, which didn't mean much in in a World Cup year, but it just gave them that little boost going into the World Cup. And I think this this one a year out could do the same for especially some of these young players that have come in that haven't been part of the World Cup success to have some sort of silverware and go. This is what it's part of. This is what being part of a winning team is like. I like that. I want to do that again. And the next target is the World Cup. Mm. Uh, rugby here on Off the Ball you're watching Monday Night Rugby is with thanks to Vodafone main sponsor of the Irish Rugby team we all belong to the team of us the future of South Africa within the Rugby Championship as well Craig has been kind of hotly debated the idea that potentially they could find themselves in the Six Nations and you know, there are plenty of reports particularly around this time last year and even into the summer that you know once the current agreement uh, with the Rugby Championship comes to an end South Africa might look to align themselves with the Northern Hemisphere as their top clubs have now at the URC is that still the feeling that in a few years' time South Africa might be keen to try and come into Europe? Yeah, absolutely. I think the ultimate goal is to get the Springboks into the Six Nations. I think first prize, though, would be not at the expense of the Rugby Championship. Mm. So somehow playing both. I'm not sure how that would look on a calendar. But certainly the goal is to get into, a, I suppose it would be a Seven Nations, actually. I don't think there's... I certainly know from South African rugby sources they're not, they're not um, pushing for Italy to be dropped. They, they just want to be added. Um, and I guess that means they just have to look at the calendar and see how many week. I don't think it will change much in terms of how many weekends you need for the, the Six Nations to achieve that anyway. Um, but if the global season happens and they align calendars, because one of the proposals from Sansa is to move the rugby championship to the same time as the Six Nations, which is simply an effort to make sure the Springboks stay in the, in the, in the rugby championship. I'm not sure that's going to fly in the corridors of South African rugby because if you think about it, with the move to URC, with the move to European rugby, uh, I don't know if your um, viewers would have noticed, but there was the uh, the sort of Six Nations Under-20 Rugby Championship uh, over the summer, and South Africa were in that quietly. South Africa were part of a Six Nations tournament at junior level and won that. So everything South Africa is doing is geared towards Six Nations and Northern Hemisphere rugby now. Um, and that means they're going to, there's a lot of issues around player welfare because currently we're straddling two hemispheres in terms of competitions. And that's putting a real strain on the players because they're not having any break at all. So something's got to give. And I think South Africa might have to ultimately, if it doesn't work dates-wise, is drop uh, the rugby championship, which wouldn't be great. I mean, the regular contact with New Zealand and the Wallabies and the Pumas is great. But, you know, it's a commercial decision ultimately as well. And uh, if Six Nations is there, I think uh, they'll jump at it. Yeah, because we always look at these things from an Irish prism naturally. And South Africa have got players you know, coming in from Japan who are playing currently in England and France who are part of the squad. And always wondering about the player welfare side there because one of the benefits of the Irish system with the provinces is that effectively everybody is in within the provincial system. Therefore, their rest can be very carefully managed and they can also work out where players are playing positionally and have that kind of little bit of influence to make sure that the players are playing exactly where the national management want to do so. South Africa have got a lot more spinning plates to think about, don't they? Yeah, that's it's almost impossible. So you can understand the Springbok coaches, will, you know, reasoning at times whether he wants to experiment with new players because, yeah, you know, he doesn't know what kind of shape he's going to get players back in next time he gathers them, and so his his, his time is very limited with them. He doesn't have that same uh, structure that the Irish system has. So from a South African long-term rugby player point of view, um, yeah, they've really got to start uh, finding ways to rest the players. I mean, Jasper Visser has now played something like thirty-eight games. 
mm. um, in in the last twelve months. He's the and, and there's quite a few that are well over thirty games. And a game a game uh, under the sort of management protocols is is twenty minutes of playing time. That's con- that constitutes a game. Uh, but you must remember, you know, we talk about games, but it's the minutes of training and the travel and all these other things. And the South African players are also doing big travel. If you consider URC or even rugby championship, you know, it's to Australia and then it's you know, to Argentina and it's back. So there's a lot of factors at play. Yeah. And um, they've got to sort it out, I guess, to to have long-term sustainability. Yeah, mix in European club rugby into that now and still South African teams trying to play Curry Cup and there's a lot of different things that have to be straddled along the way there. But the bonds are definitely growing. I mean, um, I presume you've probably read over the last week as well, Craig, that Ireland are sending a development rugby yep. squad to go to South Africa to play some games. So obviously, you know, the Irish set up field, the playing some games in South Africa and playing against South African opposition is worthwhile from their point of view too. Yeah, I think that's a smart move from uh, uh, you know, Andy Farrell. Um, I, I believe they're playing Griquas, the Cheetahs, and the Pumas, who are mm-hmm. the Curry Cup champions. So uh, it's going to be three tough games for them. Uh, I, I fully expect the Emerging Ireland side will win those, but I don't think the, the result is the real um, uh, ultimate goal here for the Irish. It's about um, exposing them, their players to a different style of rugby and that sort of intensity that you might have got in the, in the New Zealand series with those midweek games. So I think that's pretty exciting. And, um, you know, I, I would imagine there's a little bit of commercial uh, uh, considerations about this tour as well. You know, the Cheetahs have sort of been booted out of URC or Pro 14 as it was. So this is like throwing them a little bone, you know, to to give them a game that they can maybe sell out the stadium with a decent uh, Ireland side. Um, it's, uh, there's those considerations too. I don't think that's too much concern for the Irish team, but it certainly is from a South African point of view. Just the final one on how the South African teams have maybe embraced and South African fans have embraced it. Um, as things went on, given that the two South African teams got to the final of the URC, that helped to help as a selling point. Now the fact they're going to be playing in European rugby games, which are going to be broadcast at a very convenient time, whether you're in Cape Town or in Johannesburg, they're going to be on at a very good time to watch uh, South African time as well. Has that actually maybe improved the love that South Africans would have for the URC uh, given that there was a real experimental feel back in Pro 12, Pro 14 now at URC level are South Africans now embracing the competition? Oh absolutely I mean yeah, you guys I mean Cape Town Stadium would have sold out twice for the final if they could but there was a limit on, on tickets if you recall we were still in under COVID protocols uh, when the final and semi took place and they managed to get 30 odd thousand in and they would have sold 60, 70, probably even 100 quite easily for those those games. Um, look, it's a long season, the URC. There's a lot of games, I think nine home games each besides playoffs. And then there's going to be European Cup rugby. So there's going to be a lot of home games. Um, so I think the love is there. Uh, the fact that the two sides did so well. Um, yeah, everyone loves to see teams winning and playing good rugby and uh, I suppose one of the, the aspects that is still um, to be seen is how South African fans embrace summer rugby um, because traditionally the last two weeks of December and the first week or two of January is the summer holidays in South Africa. And for instance, I think the Stormers have got a game on December the 23rd and December the 29th uh, in South Africa. I'm talking about not even mm. on the overseas leg of the tour. And I'm not sure what kind of fan engagement you're going to get when you might get quite a lot of tourists to Cape Town going to watch a game. It might be a nice afternoon out for holiday makers. But I think you've got to factor in people are going to go, well, we need a, you know, we, we also on our holidays. So um, 
it's going to be interesting around that summer period how the game's embraced. But certainly, I think the first few months or so, six weeks, and then maybe a little bit of a lull through the high summer. And then, you know, once they get back into play, sort of February onwards, there'll be a, a huge sort of hype again. Craig, great to get that insight. Many thanks for joining us on Monday Night Rugby. Thank you. Monday Night Rugby on Off The Ball. With Vodafone, official sponsors of the Irish rugby team. We all belong to the team of us. 